back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. A warm welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you in association with our good friends at Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, of course, we are available across a wide range of podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We're now also on the new Amazon Music Podcast as well. If you like us, please hit the subscribe button and then you won't miss an episode. Now, our guest... This tonight is one of Britain's brightest and best. His presence also means he's following in the footsteps of his sister, who's previously been on the show. That's a first for us, but they're both part of a South Coast dynasty that's making a big <laughs> impact out in the wide world. Luke Nelson, welcome to the MVP cast. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, you're in Germany for the first time here and at Göttingen, newly promoted into the, the Bundesliga there. Um, first of all, how's your German? My German is absolutely terrible. I know... <laughs> Probably about five words I remember from school, most of which is completely useless in normal conversation. But I'm picking up a little, like a few things here and there. Mostly, mostly curse words. But you know, hopefully, I'll expand into some more, more regular words uh, in, in the upcoming, in the upcoming days. So we'll see, though. What do you? What are they doing? Do you do you go and take language lessons? Do you just rely on the fact you can communicate in English in a basketball sense? What you know? What, what are you doing in this situation in a new country? Uh, well, I mean here. Here, a lot of people speak English actually, which is actually a surprise to me. But for the most part, it's 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 a choice. Like if you decide to, you know, learn the language, then that's you know that's up to you. Like I did try to learn some Spanish because where I was initially, not many people outside of the club spoke English. So I picked up a few more things there. But but here, like I don't know, I haven't really felt the need to because honestly, most shops that you go into, a lot of people speak English, and and it's been maybe it's made me kind of lazy in that in that respect. So. But for now, I think I'm content with just picking up a few little like little tidbits here and there. But for the most part, I don't think I'll be committing to German. But, but <laughs> you never know. But you never know what happens in the future. So, what's? I mean, obviously, these are strange times. I mean, what's for you has been the biggest impact of coronavirus? Because obviously, the season, you know, last season was cut short, and in, in most places, you know, it's it's been an odd summer in terms of getting access. I mean, how? What's the impact to you been over the last six months? Oh, well, the biggest issue really was well, when it, when it first you know, lockdown first kicked in, I was still in Spain, and and they and the ACB at the time weren't sure if they wanted to continue the season or cancel it. So I was basically stuck in Spain for for, for a month and a half or so, and kind of not knowing whether I would go back to playing or whether I had to go home after whatever. But ended up um, they chose the top twelve teams, and my team was thirteenth, so that meant I had to I had to go home. And then after that, it was, I mean, I'm normally a, a, like a homebody anyway during the summer. I like to, you know, chill at home with my family because I don't really get to do that during, during the year. But uh, when it was time to start working out again, it was even harder to find a facility, which is hard anyway in England, you know, with the like the way basketball is. And it's hard to find, you know, a good court and like a gym and that. Uh, so the gym didn't open until, until I think it was like late July. So I couldn't even go like lift or anything. So all the workouts I was doing was just running in the park, which I find hard to motivate for. But so yeah, it just kind of made getting a court and facilities even harder in England, which is uh, an issue. But you know, I figured out a way, and uh, I didn't come here in the best of shape. But I feel like 
I was in good enough shape that I had I didn't have to go too far to get to where I'm at now. I mean, Germany's the the country that, or one of the countries we also look at it as the model in terms of keeping COVID more you know, more under control as much as you can mm. do. What what's the protocols? Because I know that the German BBL is starting in terms of league play for you know, until early November. You know, you're playing some you know cup games etc. Now, but describe what the daily and weekly protocols that you have to go through. Well, the club, they issue corona tests once or twice a week. It's normally twice a week. But the the rule is something like if the city you're living in is it's under five people per 100,000 like, get diagnosed with COVID, then you, you can test once a week. I think I think that's a, don't quote me, but I believe that's a BBL rule. That's what the, the league has said. So we do, we get tested pretty frequently. And it's it's not even it's not even too bad. It's a pretty quick test. They just kind of swab the back of your throat, which is not enjoyable, but it's, it doesn't take too long, which is good. Um, and then in terms of just in gen- generally speaking, you have to if you're ever indoors in like a public place, you have to wear a mask. Obviously, the social distancing is still in place. There's like obviously all the lines on the floor to so keep people distance. So it's nothing outlandish. It's pretty standard stuff. But I feel like the people I can't, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, I feel like a lot of people here have kind of taken this seriously and and taken these precautions and really taken them to heart and, and followed the protocol. So I think that's probably been the biggest difference. It's a new team, a new challenge, and you know, in a sense, it's it's your fourth team in mm-hmm. three years or four years. Yeah. When you come into a locker room, and it's it's a new new situation for someone, what's what's the approach in terms of getting to know your teammates? Because it's obviously it's about teams. So you you know you bond and you you know you you fight together, etc. On the court, but you know hard. How easy or difficult is it to walk in there and sort of day one and make yourself part of the family? I mean, well, I can only speak to my experience, but my experience has always been has been pretty easy because at the end of the day, everyone there shares the same passion of like, you know, I'm here to play basketball because you know, it's my job and I love, I love what I do. Also, a lot of guys, you know, mostly like normally half the team are not in their in their home country so we're all, we kind of have that in common as well and you can kind of find common ground there but I mean it's never really been an issue I just feel like I mean I, maybe I've been lucky a lot of guys that I've, I've been on teams with have been like genuinely good people and it's just been easy to kind of you know connect on the court and then like after obviously it takes a little like a little while to get comfortable with each other and you start you know hanging out and going to lunch or dinner or whatever it is and and then like, obviously now we've got now a lot of long bus journeys so you kind of find time to bond there as well, but it's it's always for me anyway. It's been pretty, it's been pretty simple and it's been pretty easy. Particularly as a guard, I mean, obviously, it, it it's so important you understand others' strengths and you know and weaknesses as well. I mean, when you you sign in the summer and you've got you know a little window before you you rock up at, at training camp. You know, is is there a process for you in terms of studying film of your teammates, pouring over synergy stats? I mean, it, you know, how much. Is there a sort of pre pre season for you? I mean, me personally. I mean, I've, everyone might, someone else might be different, but I like to kind of come in with a like a clean slate. I don't want to. Obviously, I might see some things that if I follow the team on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, they might post like a little highlight clip or, or you know whatever they do. But for the most part, I I kind of I don't really like research the teammates because I I find it's best to to learn how they play by playing with them rather than watching them play because also. The system, the systems I played in previously might be completely different to the one we're going to be playing in like together. So I just find it best to 
just to come in and just have like no preconceptions and just kind of learn on the fly. And like, I feel that's the best way to kind of to really understand how someone plays is to play with them. That's that's how you kind of figure it out. So I just kind of I don't I don't really want to research them because I, I don't want to come in and think oh this person plays like this and then maybe they've worked on some something over the summer and they're like a you know what I mean they've really improved in one area of their game that I wasn't expecting or you know or they've deteriorated in one area you know whatever it is. So I just find it best to to learn on the fly. How does that translate into game prep, especially when you're looking at opponents? I mean, you are, are you a guy that likes a lot of game film or are you a guy that likes a lot of stats and you know, you know, points of emphasis? I mean, what, what works for you in terms of getting you ready for a game? Uh, I think game film is probably the, is probably better to for me anyway to look at. I feel like seeing someone play, like uh, it's different, whereas like, this is like you've seen them play the week before. So the next week, they're not going to be a whole different player. You know, they're going to be pretty similar to how they played the previous week. So for me, I like just watching the game film, like in the team sessions, like it's good to see like their kind of, their, their rhythm of play and like the way they, the way they move, like to kind of see, you know, where, where they're comfortable and where they've kind of, where they're not so comfortable. So yeah, so I'd say game stats, I think stats can be misleading sometimes. Um, so I think for me, game film is the, is the more important one. It's fourth year as a professional and you're coming out of UC Irvine, you come back to Europe and you, you're signed as a as a rookie by, by Grand Canary, you know, big mid-level, but you know, pretty impressive ACB teams being in your know, EuroLeague, et cetera. And you get mm-hmm. a three-year deal there, but other than, you know, pre-season you know, exhibition type games. You never play for them in a competitive game. You get the year out at no. Real Betty's, the year out at Man Race, or the year out in between, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. What what was the sales pitch from them to you when you went there initially? Was this ever a possibility from, from what they laid out to you that you might not feature for them? I mean, well, initially there was no like sales pitch already. Most of the this stuff goes on between the clubs, the GMs, and the and my agent, and obviously other players' agents. But uh, the sales pitch, in a way, was basically the fact that they they offered me like such a like a, a longer deal. Was that that was them saying like, okay, we want to, you know, we have interest in you in in the long term rather than just get you here then get you out kind of thing. So there was no like pitch or anything like that but they kind of showed their commitment to me in, in the contract they offered uh but i mean the plan was always to be on loan for the first season because they, had, they said they have a full roster which is which is a pretty normal thing from what i understand um but then the second year unexpectedly we were we made the euroleague like the team the year before they finished fourth in the acb in the in the playoffs and that meant they had a euroleague spot and then i think that kind of changed the way they saw me, they, they like signed guys over me, um, which meant that I would have to fight for my time, which I was okay with. But then, obviously, as you said, the injury happened, and that kind of set me back a little bit. And then Manresa was in the sort of year three, going on loan there again. What is there a discussion there at that point about what happens, or do you get essentially a choice? Uh, yeah, I had it. Well, there was a the choice was basically to stay at Grand Canary and not play, or to go on loan. <laughs> Pretty easy choice. Yeah, that was a no brainer. So basically, the they obviously so after my second year, we had a. I mean, obviously, I had a rough year, but the team as well had a, a bit of a struggle that season. Uh, at one point, there was a risk of finishing in the bottom three, which was yeah, for a yearly team was like un, unheard of. But anyway, they ended up you know getting to safety um, in the ACB and staying up. 
and then they hired a new coach and he and he basically they hired him to build his own team and he wanted and he had his own vision for what he wanted and I wasn't part of that vision and as a pro you kind of have to accept that and uh I preseason I went in I you know I thought to myself, I kind of had the like an inkling that that was the case but I said to myself you know I can go in I can play hard and maybe I can you know convince him that he wants me there but you know it didn't happen and he came to me kind of before the season was starting he said look you know you know, I appreciate everything you've done, but you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm gonna. There's a lot of time for you here available, and you know, he was honest, and you know, I appreciate that. And then he just kind of advised me, advised me to look for for a loan, and then that's when I go to the to my agent, and that, and then it's on him to to figure out something for, for somewhere for me to go. And Manresa was a great, you know, place to, to end up. I mean, psychologically, we all want to be loved. We all want to be treasured <laughs> and wanted, etc. Absolutely. Do you have to kind of? get your head around that a little bit i mean does it affect you in any way when i don't want to say the word rejection but it kind of is rejection oh no it is rejection but um, <laughs> for me I, i've always looked at it as like i'm 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 in this big i'm in a business and uh for, for the most part maybe there are there's probably some cases where it is but like for the most part it's not personal uh the coach had his vision that's what he wanted and i there's nothing i can do to Unless I, you know, what I mean, go in and play crazy and play really well, and I can't really change his mind. So in a way, you have to accept that this is a business, and you kind of you can't take things personally. Um, it's not great, obviously. There's a lot of issues with the, with the business and like the way they treat some players. But as long as you understand that and you accept that, I don't think then you'll t- you'll take it too personally when something like this happens to you. So you've always got to kind of look forward and just say, you know what, okay, this didn't work out, whatever, and then just move on. And it's, obviously it's not easy and it was, especially my second year, like with the injury and stuff, uh, that was the kind of when I felt like on the, on the outside of the team a lot. But at the same time, you, you have to remember like this is, you're part of this this big world and you're just a piece of it, you know, you're not the centre of it, so. I mean, I'm nice last season. I think no one could doubt now that you, you've proved you can lead a team offensively at an ACB level. And as a career sort of builder does does that help you going forward to have because you still started in the you know, arguably the best league outside the nba you've got the experience of starting and doing well in that league etc does that sort of reinforce your faith that going to spain was a good idea and you know it's as a learning experience it was very much the right place to be uh, yeah i mean well, to be honest i never really lost faith in that you know i kind of felt like I think my I had, a, I had a solid first year, uh, first professional season. It wasn't outstanding, but I felt like I was a solid two guard in the in the league. But then I kind of felt like for my next year, I I was I was ready to take a step up, and then obviously that was a setback with the injury. But then as I was in Manresa, and I was given a chance to kind of to kind of work through those issues of coming back to playing, I kind of felt like I was just being myself. You know, I didn't really feel like I was. I was doing anything special. I just felt like this is, you know, this is the way I can play, and this is where I, I expect myself to play. And I had some ups and downs that year, definitely. I, I had a few like, little like tweaks of the ankle that kind of set me back again. But I kind of felt like in the in the in the scheme of things, I felt like I, I showed like what I was capable of. But now now the challenge is to is to show that you know on an, on a weekly basis in my, every, every game, not just you know I can't be having such a, like a roller coaster season as I did last season. So I think here we're good to have a chance to do that. That lost campaign, which you've mentioned a few times now, obviously it was a, an ankle injury, 
let's put it mm-hmm. sort of the backstory the start of the 2018-19 season at the time we read about it and it was like Luke Nelson suffered a sprayed ankle in practice didn't seem anything particularly to worry about then you have surgery and you're only supposed to be out for three months turns into a whole season I mean talk me through the the diagnostic process for people aren't familiar with this hard what happened and how did it sort of spin into something that looked a little bit innocuous to something that kept you out for a year yeah I think the article might have been a bit misleading but um (laughs) but basically it's obviously the the injury itself was it wasn't just a sprain, right? It was, I remember when it happened, it was very painful and there was some shouting going on and uh, and I couldn't put any weight on it for for about two weeks. So I had like crutches and everything. So it wasn't just a general sprain. Um, but anyway, so after seeing that I got the MRI and speaking with the, the team doctor, we talked about like the, the the recovery process and what we can do to get me back playing. And Basically, the, the advice I received was the ligament that I had, they weren't sure at first because when you get an MRI, like, when there's a lot of swelling in the area, it's hard to really see what's going on in there. So when I had the MRI, it wasn't clear as to whether the ligament was broken or not. And I, I kind of knew it was because I remember I told them, I remember I felt a pop like as, as my ankle went over. I felt like something like popping inside my ankle, which was not pleasant. But basically, they said... Uh, you don't necessarily need surgery for this type of this type of uh, ligament damage. If you, as long as you train the muscles around it and strengthen all the, those kind of things, then you should be you be able to play again. Because they had players in the past who have like, had like, not had that ligament and been fine. So I said okay, and I, and I did everything I could to to recover. But then as a few months went by, a couple of months went by, I just I still couldn't run without pain, and that's when I. That's when there was that's when we had to talk about surgery because I don't think the team like, for the team in general it's like getting surgery isn't in their best interest. Uh, and I, in hindsight, I should have been more. I uh, maybe I should have got a different opinion uh, earlier on. But after those couple of months of not being able to run again, I, I we spoke and we ended up you know sorting out the surgery. But then that sets me back another few uh, three months for recovery. So that's basically a big five month chunk gone. But then, obviously, as I, so I, just to skip over a bunch, as I was recovering, I was getting back to playing. They had uh, the team had some coaching issues. The first coach who was there was was fired pretty early on, and then the assistant coach took over for a little while, and then they were still they were still struggling for a little while at the end, and then they hired a new coach to come in. And this new coach is, was a very experienced coach, and he kind of I feel like I need to go back because I've missed a few details but basically a lot of other teammates that year were also injured which meant they had to sign other players so at one point I think we had 17 or 18 players on, on the roster which is which is not normal normally it's 14 15 max so and, and of those 14 15 there'll be a couple of young players but we had like 17 professional players you know uh, on, on the roster and the coach came in the new the third coach that season and said um, I want to I want to Cut it down. I don't want this many this many players of practice, and uh, because I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't even I was maybe sixty percent healthy then. I could I was still just starting to run and play, and I think I'd played live twice before he came in, um, and he just said I want to cut it down. So he basically a few guys just weren't invited to practice anymore, and we even looked at alone at the end of that season. But obviously with the whole year being out, it was hard. So I ended up just basically working out in Grand Canaria. For the last couple of months of the season, how tough is that? I mean, you talk about the, obviously the physical recovery is, is hard going, but 
what's the toughness level mentally for, I mean, setting out a season and sort of maybe not getting, as you've indicated, the support that you would have liked? I mean, obviously it's tough, and especially when, when you're in it, it's kind of hard to, um, I mean, for the, for the most part, when you're in it, like the focus is on recovery, but then there's always that in the back of your mind that, you know what I mean? Like this is kind of, this is kind of messed up, but I took it as a chance to, to kind of, just to kind of like settle into myself and kind of think about a lot of things, not just basketball, just about my life in general as well. Like so I kind of used it to, I, I tried to turn it into positive. It was hard, but um, at, at the end of the day, like my job was still a basketball player and I had another year on my contract after anyway. So that wasn't, that was secure, which was kind of, kind of put my mind at ease. Cause if that was like the end of my contract, it would have been hard to find a good, you know, a good place the, the year after. But uh, luckily I had one more year. Um, I just kind of, like I said before, it's a business and you have to kind of look at it that way. The coach didn't come in and say, I don't like Luke Nelson, get him out of here. It was, I want to, for us to win and I want to practice this way and for, to practice this way, I need this many players to practice. And you kind of have to look at it that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you always have to kind of have that in the back of your mind that it's, it's not personal, but it's never easy. But I mean, also they have, they still, it's not like, this is still my job and I still have to pay me, you know what I mean? So so that made things a little simpler. What did you learn about yourself, you know, personally and life-wise? I mean, was this, what, what, what were the things that you managed to figure out with having too much time to kill? Uh, <laughs> well, one of the lighter things I realised is that I can, be, I can be kind of grumpy sometimes, with, uh, <laughs> especially when things like this are happening. Um, I just... I had to learn to not take it out on the people closest to me, and I wasn't I wasn't necessarily lashing out as like I wasn't being like rude or angry, but I was just I, I don't know I was always a bit reserved and a bit like standoffish when these things happen, because I think like, in a way that's how I deal with things. I like to kind of internalize things, but like when my family's calling me and I'm being a bit grumpy, I had to I realize that like, this is you know this is probably not the way to deal with things. Um, amongst other things that I'm probably not going to get into right now, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely an experience to learn from my, like, learn myself personally and how I am as a professional and how the business works. So, I mean, Carla, when she, your sister, when she was on the podcast, talked about you know, the year she was at last year, um, mm. and she, you know, she said that you know one of the things that she focused on basketball wise was you know the importance of IQ and and, and skill. When, when you're sitting back, and obviously you're, some parts you're involved in the team, some parts you're not, but you. Was there anything in terms of development that you were able to do within the sort of physical limits of recovering from an injury that sort of stood you in good stead for when you did get back? Uh, well, for the most part, my focus was on just getting back to where I was. And it was it's hard to really think about pushing further on until you feel like you are like the player you're supposed to be. Like I kind of felt like I needed to focus on being able to run, like sprint. Like, just being able to sprint was a big thing. Um, being able to sprint and then being able to stop while sprinting, I, I feel like that's a, obviously that's a, the biggest part of basketball is to be able to to change your pace and go from fast to slow and then stop and then change direction. So for me, I think I think for me it was different because it was a I would like the, I was so limited in my movement and I for me it was focusing on getting back to a point where I felt like I could play the way I did last year and then after that I can focus on okay. Where do I need to improve? Like ball handling, shooting, whatever it is. 
So for me, it was more just getting back to, to, to being able to run and play. It was the biggest thing. Do you ever get, I mean, in, in the cold dead of night, do you ever get that fear factor in that point that maybe things won't be quite the same again as they were? Oh, I never did, but uh, <laughs> now you say that, maybe I should have. But no, um, <laughs> Probably best no, not I, to. Yeah, no, def- no, I didn't. I, I, had, you know, I had enough confidence in myself, you know, regardless of circumstances, that, you know, I was, I was a player that could have played at that level. And even even as the season went on, like Grand Canaria, I was sitting watching, thinking, you know, I could have made a difference here. But uh, but no, I never I never lost that, you know, that, that self confidence. I mean, basketball would be you know, is a business at this level, as you said. But having been out for a number of months, and obviously then kind of getting banished in practice, does it does it make you appreciate the simple joy as many of us have over the past months of being able to go out and just play this game? Yeah, definitely. It's there's something about the competitiveness of it, and you know, just kind of just fighting with people on the court. Right? It's there's something that you can't compare it to. Even going to work out is it doesn't compare to the like the actual competitive drive you get when you, you know, the adrenaline rush you get when you're actually competing with people. So I mean, definitely like, the start in the preseason is very. Uh, there's a lot of playing, a lot of competing, and then we've had a lot of preseason games which have been. It's been good to play again. So, is this something that you that I, I just can't describe? That, that, that the feeling you get as you actually, you, you you know, you're really competing with the person opposite you and the team opposite you. And you've been around this game pretty much since you could crawl with your your, your dad, Steve. You know, being a mm. international played you know, great player in his day for for Worthing Bears, etc. What was it always basketball for you? Because obviously, sometimes kids of parents rebel against what their parents are good at you know, was it always basketball for you or was there ever a kind of wavering of yeah this is what dad did i want to do something different it wasn't quite that that direct it wasn't like quite that much of a direct rebel but i used to love football i played football a lot and i remember my favorite number as a kid was seven because i was because i was a man united fan i was david beckham's number and my dad was number six, and he. I remember. I remember. I think like my my. You didn't my want music. Gary Pallister's jersey or ever. I think it no, was the one you left no. at the time. Yeah, so I remember. I think my my family computer, my my login was like Luke seven, and I think my dad was a bit a bit upset about that. <laughs> but um, but no, he never. He, I, you know, one of the best things about my like my dad growing up, he never pressured me with basketball. He was always listening to me as to what I wanted to do and for, for I want to say for about a year or two I had basketball games and football games both on Sundays and I would alternate week to week um uh, and I mean for the longest time I I actually preferred football I was you know I was making good strides in football I made it to like a, like a regional level and I was, do, I was doing all right um but I think probably I'd say when I was around 14 or 15 I just kind of felt like I'd kind of not plateaued in football, but I kind of felt like I wasn't being pushed. And then that's when the national team basketball stuff started, and I was involved in that in the under 15s and then the under 16s, etc. And then I don't know, I just kind of felt like I just felt like I was really progressing, and I was really making like good improvements, and I was like kind of considered one of the best in, in my age group at the time. Whereas in football, I just kind of felt like I was just playing football because I enjoyed it. I didn't really get that drive from it, you know. So. I'll, so yeah, probably when I was about fifteen, I was when I really kind of switched. I think I stopped playing football when I was fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, but growing up for the longest, football was was everything. I much preferred football. 
In what way in that in in that sort of situation do you lean on your dad for knowledge and insight and and support in terms of saying right this is the direction that I want to go and how do I get there? I mean, well, he was. I mean, the, the biggest thing I ever do. He was like my coach. He was always my secondary coach. Like even when I was at Reading, like after games, if, if he was there, like we'd talk, and he was kind of like just throw a couple of points my way. And it was obviously because. Like, he didn't want to step on my coach's toes, but like he he knows he like he, he knows my game well, and he knows like you know if I've been hesitant in this specific situation. So I've always had that kind of like that secondary voice because sometimes you know if the co- if, if the coach is like unhappy with how you played, he'll let you know. Whereas like a, a dad coach will kind of help you through that. So I, like, having that secondary coach has always has always been a big big game for me. And even when I was in America, like he watched the games. He'd be up late at night, and then I'd, you know, call him after the game and whatever, and he'd, he'd you know, give me his, his two pence. So I've always like having always having that has, has been like a big reason that I've been able to kind of say level headed in a way because like, a lot of times you can get frustrated with yourself, and then I've always had that like that steady voice behind me. What's the best piece of advice he has given you? I don't even think I could give you one specific thing really. It's just it's always he's not like a quotation kind of <laughs> guy. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like general kind of like help and you know encouragement and things like this and then obviously like criticism as well right but there's no nothing specifically jumps out to me to be honest and Kyla obviously coming through after you and you know she told us about you know the the games you guys were able to play I mean you you must you must take a lot of pleasure in seeing her growth as a as a basketball player as well definitely and and for her her biggest thing growing up was like she wasn't sure if she was, if she wanted to, and she was basically because she didn't know if she was good enough, and that that was her biggest barrier was getting over that that confidence hump. And then she, and then I think she really did, like especially in her last year in England, like you could see she was, she just felt like no one could touch her kind of thing. And then obviously going like going to ATC straight from England, it was a big deal. So, and I think that kind of made her realize that okay, I'm I'm pretty good at this, and I'm I'm happy to see that 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 change in mentality for her. Which has been a big thing because now she even talks trash to me, which I just think is unbelievable. Talking about she's the best shoe in the house, which I, which is complete nonsense, by the way. <laughs> but with, I mean, with but the I, workouts this summer to to back that up. No, I mean to be honest, it was kind of the timing of her leaving kind of meant we didn't get a chance to work out in the gym together, which was unfortunate. So now I would have proved to her that she's just talking absolute nonsense. And she did. I mean, when she was on, she spoke obviously very openly about the cancer. I mean, how how is she? What can you mm. tell us? Is she she in good spirits and good health heading back? I mean, she. I think one of the best things for her has been the fact that like, their preseason over there has been really tough, and I think that's kind of she hasn't really. It's kind of it's like a thing of the part. Obviously, it's not within herself, but like she's so busy all the time, like with her workouts, with the like she's got weights, conditioning, practices, and all of that. And I think like just being like in the swing of it again, it's kind of helped her, kind of not put it past her because it will it will always be there, always be a thing that she has to deal with, and like will always remember. And like, obviously, the people closest to her, and I love her, will. But like she's she's kind of like throwing herself into this into this new situation she's in, and she wants to like to really like get back to get back to playing because that's the one thing she's missed the most is actually being able to play. So, Great Britain. Is is obviously a a program you're engaged in. You know, having come through from the junior ranks, you're you've you've been through that entire pyramid to get to the top level. And there's been post twenty twelve, you know, such a you know, there's been a you know, players have come and gone. You know, it's been a you're part of a kind of 
generation that's there now and you know, we had a few years ago we, we remember like the team you know standing up and saying that you know they weren't happy with the way that the program is mm. how do you assess you know and you're able to talk to players from other countries etc but how do you assess the program you know not even sort of the you know the, the results as, as they stand at the minute but does it feel like you guys have some ownership of this program um I'd say it's. I'd say yes and no. I feel like um, this is okay. I, I I think like it's moving towards that where they want players to be more active in in everything surrounding the GB GB program. So and I think I'm kind of experiencing that at the moment. Like the like the players are given more you know responsibility and ownership of of these kind of things. But I'd say to assess it, I try, for me anyway, at this point of my career, I I try to focus on the playing. Obviously, there's some frustrations off the court that's around, like games and whatnot. But for me, I think the biggest thing that we can do as players is to, is to, to, to win. And if we win and, we and you know, the higher-ups have to see that, okay, these guys are doing something now, then they have to kind of like, then they have to listen to us. Because if we lose every game and then we're saying, oh, we don't like this, they're going to be like, oh, well, you know, shut up, we don't care, kind of thing. So I feel I feel like the best thing we can do is to you know, do our best to win as many games as possible and like this this upcoming like Eurobasket qualification is is the best opportunity to do that. Uh so yeah, that's the way I kinda of, that's the way I kinda of look at it. I mean your Twitter feed regularly sees you, you know, tweet other about other players and retweet other other guys in the team. I mean, there's clearly for you a very big emotional investment though in playing for your country. Oh, definitely. There's there's a pride that can't be matched with anything else other than you know the country you grew up in and love and for me paid for growing up I now get to put on you know and put on that jersey and represent the whole country not just the whole country under the age of 16 or whatever it is and it's it's something that I'll never be able to describe it's like I don't know I, I don't even know what to say about it it's just you get this this feeling of like like I'm Especially, especially as we we want to, we really want to improve the sport in in England and and in, in Britain. So like to to feel like I'm being a part of that like that wave that's gonna hopefully you know kickstart the program and whatnot and hopefully you know elevate it. It's I can't even describe how that feels. It's just such a gets such a prideful feeling. What would the significance be though of of playing in those you know major tournaments probably you know real estate eurobasket because that, that preceding generation it, you know it almost became the default for them it, you know it was a good group this you know this current group doesn't have that as a kind of automatic assumption you're going to go to the tournaments i mean is that a big thing for you personally and you know the guys that you're close with to to, to experience that sort of level yeah i mean definitely because i mean like i said this is if we if we play well and Big games, then we'll like people will notice us. You know, the you know the I don't, I'm not I'm not sure how it all works, but the governing bodies and I think from what I understand, a lot of the the funding is dependent on results. And I think I think it's like Olympic results, but I, I feel like showing that you know we have the capabilities of competing with the best countries in Europe uh, on 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 the court. You know, they have to take notice of it and think, okay, this is something that we should you know maybe be looking at. So. I think that's the biggest thing we can do is to, first of all, is to get to Eurobasket, which is not going to be easy with our group. 
But uh, then hopefully if we get there, then to, to show that we can, you know, we can compete at that level. People talk about the, the talent that this country develops and the level of talent that we have. And then, but yeah, the, the benchmark is how you do internationally, because that's what, how you compare yourself against other countries in a, you know, on a regular basis. Do you, do you, in a sense, and this is a kind of you know, heaping a lot on any individuals or any like 12 group of guys at any one time, but does it feel like sometimes you're trying to play for the credibility and the respect of basketball in this country when you, you head overseas? Um, not, not. Not if not while you're playing. I think if you kind of step back and look at it, then yeah, you can think, you know, you can think like that. But I don't think necessarily, I'm not on the court thinking, oh, I've got to make sure I'm, I make GB look good, you know. Not in the moment, but like, but yeah, but in a way we are. In a way, the guys who, you know, who play overseas and who, who are like play with the national team when we play against other European countries, that is kind of what we're doing. But I don't think it's, it's I don't think it's as conscious as, as saying to ourselves, oh, we've got to make GB look good kind of thing. Because like, when you're when you're in like when you're in the game, like you, you're just thinking about oh, how how do we win this game, and that's all you think about. But by winning that game, you are making GB look good. So I don't think it's is it's not like a direct thought in that in that respect. But that is definitely what we're doing. I mean, the qualifiers in in November, as far as the the rules go at the minute, will be played in some kind of bubble, probably in a neutral venue, etc. But the mm. one intriguing addition to that roster assuming he's selected and assuming everything stays is Byron Mullins is is that a helpful thing when you get you know, guys someone like him with his resume you know being able to put up his hand and say I'd, I'd kind of like to come and contribute to this I mean I mean the the best way to win games is to you know have the best available team and I, I don't personally know a whole lot about him and I've obviously seen that he's playing with the, with the Lions now but I think making the GB team more competitive in any way, shape, or form is nothing but a benefit, and it, I, I don't, I don't see how that can, like, that wouldn't be a positive. So, talked about your football skills. So, yeah, obviously, Andre Lawrence has yeah got a reasonable amount of pedigree, and then in the beautiful game, who's the best footballer in the GB team? I think, I really don't know. I haven't ever seen him play. It's, it's not me. <laughs> it's definitely not me because I have not played football in a long time. But. um I don't know. I tell you, I tell you, he's good at FIFA. Is Teddy? Teddy is very good at FIFA. I mean, I got waxed by Teddy a couple of times playing FIFA, but actual real football, I don't know. <laughs> what's 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 your game of choice? That's a um, video game. Uh, I'm more of a like single player RPG kind of guy. Um, I play obviously like a lot of multiplayer games like Call of Duty. I, when FIFA comes out, I play a lot of FIFA. Um, I avoid 2K like the plague. I think it's the worst game personally. I don't want to separate. If you enjoy 2K, enjoy 2K. But for me, I just it's it's like one of the most frustrating games ever to play. Um, but yeah, mostly like RPGs. Like, like for example, I mean, one of the biggest ones over the last few years has been Skyrim or The Witcher. These kind of games. But yeah, I kind of like for me, video games is a way to kind of just to just to kind of be somewhere else for a, for an hour or two. So, have you ever been able yeah. to play yourself in a video game? No. Is that, yeah. is that a life ambition? I don't know. Really <laughs> like, like I said, the only game I want to be on is 2K, and I, I just don't like 2K. But yeah. Um, close to home, see, big exciting news in British basketball in the last week. Cam Hildreth signing on a scholarship mm. for Wake, Wake Forest. I mean, you, you've known him from around the South Coast Massive since he was probably the size of a basketball. I mean, it's... 
Yeah. Just, just put that in context for people that don't get college basketball. How big a deal is this? I mean, well, the ACC is arguably the best conference in in the Division One NCAA. And from what I understand, I have to, I must say I haven't really been up on college basketball the last few years. But from what I understand, Wake Forest is a it's a is a pretty good school within that within that conference. And obviously, they have the pedigree of the of Chris Paul and Tim Duncan, who obviously went there and are still part of the program in a way. Uh, they still support the program. And Cameron's done that from England. He's gone from from living in Worthing, which, I mean, I may have, it's not quite Worthing, but like in that area, to to wait, to go into Wake Forest is, is pretty unheard of. And for me, it was a pretty big deal going to UC Irvine, but I mean, Wake Forest is like a whole another level of school. And, you know, I'm just excited for him, man. You started all four years at, at, at Irvine. He's he's been assured of that instant sort of significant role, which I think is the reason that he chose to go there. I mean, it, how, how useful is it, though, to be, I guess, going in with a sort of vague sense that you're not going to be stuck on a bench for at least one year, maybe even two? Uh, well, for me, that was the the biggest thing. I didn't, I didn't want to go and sit somewhere for a year. So, I, I mean, I was... Some people advised me to uh, to do a year of prep school to maybe find a bigger school, but then again, that's another year gone by that I'm not playing college basketball. So for me, and I think that is the most important thing. Right? And I, I, said, I remember speaking to him. I said like it's important to know like if the head coach is the one talking to you, that's how you know that they want you there. You know, if it's because a lot of times like recruitment is done through the assistants, and if you only speak to the assistants, then the head coach probably doesn't know much about you. You know, so. Um, from what I understand, the head coach was was quite active in his recruitment. Um, obviously, I don't know everything, but I, I think that you know, speaking to the head coach and hearing their opinion on on you and like what what they expect of you, kind of is a good indication of what they of what you're going to get once you get out of there. That being said, once he gets there, nothing is a given. You know, you know he has to earn every every minute he plays, and whatever role he he, he plays will be on him. Really, um, you know. Um, what, what he does, what he shows the coaches during practices and preseason and these things. So, but you know he's got a lot of talent, and there's no reason he can't be a big part of that team. I mean, having been through the European system now, and obviously Gran Canaria, a club that's very well known for its developmental system. I mean, would you still looking back? Because you had the opportunity, I think, if I recall, coming out of Reading to 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 go to a European club. Would you still go down the collegiate route, or would you be more swayed to? Heading into mainland Europe, I mean, well, for me, it was it was never for me. It was never I want to go to America because that's the better route. Like for me, I didn't the office I had in Europe didn't really make sense. It was a lot of one or two year deals, which at that age, I I just didn't think was the right was the right move. You know, you kind of want to be somewhere where they're going to invest in you and try to develop you in Europe. So. So the biggest reason, like the biggest thing, like, I didn't even have a competing offer in Europe. Like nothing made sense for me to forego college. There was nothing worth my, you know, what I mean, worth like throwing that opportunity away. So, but I don't think one is better than the other. I I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, and it's all it's all it's like dependent on each person and each player and how they feel and because obviously culturally it's going to be different. You know, going to Europe than it's uh, America. America might be more comfortable for a lot of English guys. Um, but I don't think it is necessarily the better route. There's, there's a, lot, I mean, I, there's a lot of stories of people going to America and kind of just not, not being, 
not progressing the way they expected they would, you know. And there's obviously the stories of going to Europe and the same thing happened. So, this, as I said, this pros and cons to both, and it completely depends on the individual and on the team or the school that they go to. So, was was your greatest achievement in the states managing to return with your accent completely intact? I I have to say though, looking back, I, it was not completely intact. It was, most, <laughs> it was mostly intact and. I remember thinking at the time I was adamant that it was completely still English, but then looking back, I think I watched like an interview of myself, and I, I kind of cringe at the some of the pronunciations. But oh yeah, I'm, at the time I was I was like, no, there's no way I, I don't sound American. But then I realised now that I did a little bit, and it was never it was never an American accent. There was just a, like a slight twang to it, but it still bugs me to this day. But, I, I remember John Amici telling me the story once that he went his first year at Vanderbilt and coming home at the end of end of his freshman year and, and his mother just took him aside and said something like, you've got about two weeks to lose that and I don't ever want to hear it again. <laughs> and then he was saying he's been back to being broad Mancunian, so that's you know, yeah, part that's of good. parental that's, pressure. That's, that, that's, definitely, that's definitely good. I kind of wish my parents did that because they were teasing me about it, but I, I just never believed it because like, for me, I, I sounded normal anyway. Like when I spoke to them, but like when I was in America, I would sometimes like if you're in the shop, you know, I couldn't be bothered to deal with the whole. Oh, you're you're from England. I would kind of like <laughs> put a bit of more of a twang on it, but yeah, for the most part, I felt like I was still completely English, but I definitely wasn't looking back. Sorry, right. you've you've recovered well. You've you've got it out of you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe so. I think it's been, I've I've been out long enough. Although I mean, I don't really during the season. Obviously, I'm with mostly American. I don't really see English people because obviously the teams I play with is mostly like you see the Americans or like the, the domestic players. But I, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to be keeping the English accent. <laughs> well, that's a couple of things. I mean, slightly on on that that score. I mean, yeah, you when you're in a you're in a foreign country now, yeah, you you're not going to necessarily become fluent in German. What's the little things that you bring with you, or the things that you keep from home? Other than probably a, a, a backdoor access to, to iPlayer, but you know, how do you make yourself at home? Uh, well, the first thing for me is I, I like to get my little gaming set up. I like to, I've got my, my my laptop and my my monitor all set up, so I kind of feel like I can escape to another world if I need to. Um, I, I like to make sure my bed. <coughs> excuse me. I like to make sure I'm comfortable in my bed. <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. So I, I, I'll sort out like pillows and you know mattress pads and whatever it is to make sure like when I'm in bed I feel like I'm comfortable and then I'd say I'd say I, I need I need my tea so I ordered like a 240 pack of Tetley tea <laughs> that's, that's a big thing um and for me to be honest I don't I don't need much to feel at home as long as I feel you know comfortable in, in the house and in the apartment that I'm in I'm pretty good because I, I kind of had to learn this early on because obviously I left home at 16 so I had to kind of find a way to feel comfortable wherever I was at. And I think I've, that's been a good life lesson for me. So I'm pretty simple. I'm, I'm pretty easy, to be honest. I think for some guys, especially coming from America, where they, they've never left America before, it can be tough. But for me, because I've been I've been all over the place, like, I'm, I'm, I settle in pretty easy. What is the, the, the ambition for this season? It's first season in the other BBL. I mean, what, what do you want to get out of this year? Is there is it kind of, obviously you want, teams to win you want Godin to stay in the league but you know personally do you sit down with a, you know, a sort of ambition list I mean well right now my, I think with the situation my team's in if my team does well I, I it makes me look good as well so my goals are, 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 are just team based like I feel like we should compete for a playoff spot 
which won't be easy. This is a competitive league. It's very physical, a lot of talent, a lot of experience. But I feel like if this team makes the playoffs and, you know, I can be, you know, a good comp- uh, contributor to the team, then that'll make me look good. So my main my main goal is to have team success here. And I feel like with the group we have, we can do it. Well, we wish you the best of luck in that. We hope you have a... Here's some here's some general for you. A wonderbar season. Oh, thank you very much. Danke schön for coming on the MVP cast and and all the very best. Bitte schön. (laughs) Well done. Thanks for joining us, Luke Nelson. (laughs) That is it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Search them on Google or give them a follow on social media at TU Compliance Limited. You can get, of course, all our previous editions via MVP247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. And if you've got an opportunity, please leave us a review and, and a nice one of that if you can. Or if you want to get in touch with me, reach out via Twitter at Mark Ripple. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very, very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, it's bye for now. Bye.